All right, man. So when we left this off, we had wrapped up some conference previews and put down our thoughts about what's going to happen here in the playoffs. And we did say that we'd wait a few games deep and check back in. Um, there's been a couple games today. Uh, one game still in progress, so we'll uh, not we'll reserve comment on that. But uh, the Stars and Wild play today, and Minnesota actually won, so they are they are down two one in this series. And for me, actually, big comeback when Patrick Sharp scored twice uh, five minutes into the game, and the Wild stormed back for a five uh, three win. But my my biggest takeaway here is I think I think already the Stars are in a position where they could this this series could even up in game four and they should have saved Tyler Sagan for this moment. You know, after after the first game, it looked like it was smooth sailing. Everybody thought this was going to be a dud of a series and uh they rushed Tyler Sagan back a little bit in game two, didn't play a whole lot, and uh as evidenced by his scratch for game three, he's wasn't looking so hot. And I, I really think they should have they should have just shelved them until they absolutely needed them. Like a situation now, if they would have found themselves up 2-1, Sagan would have had some extra rest, and then you use them when you got to use them. Um, I mean, I, there's that. There's the stat. Uh, the Minnesota Wild have won uh, game three, their past seven, eight, seven out of eight playoff series they've played in uh, to date. And it's a home playoff game in that building. It's a state of hockey. Everybody, you know, that whole dynamic so that – that building's been that building was jumping, so it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that they won Game Three. Strange decision, eh, to go ahead and and put Sagan in Game Two when it really didn't seem like no. they needed him. And how quickly does does this happen? We're already a few games deep into the first round since the last time we talked. We were talking about it earlier, and you know, I was I was mentioning mentioning to you the fact that it seems like it's been forever since we last recorded, but we're back. Deep into the playoffs, deep into the first round at least. But yeah, Sagan out game three. Minnesota comes back, wins a big game, five to three. It's a pretty interesting stat that you threw out there. But uh, with Sagan out, Eakin takes up the top line next to Jamie Benn. He's been pretty dominant. Two goals and three assists in three games. It's hard to top that. Mm-hmm. But Patrick Sharp's two two goals on seven shots was pretty impressive tonight. Oh, yeah. You, you have to wonder... If if Sagan tries to come back less than 100% now, because he already did it once, and now he's had a setback. So you, do they throw him in game four if he's at the same state he was before game two, or do they actually hold him out for another couple games? But by that point, I mean, what, what if the Wild win the next couple games, then they're facing elimination, and then it might be too little too late. I still don't hold much no, hope for the not Wild. not me either. I, mean, I, I just, realize that they came back and won tonight. But the, the tipping point beyond Tyler Sagan, I mean, the Wild are without their best player. For the for the series and quite possibly for the entire season, remainder of the season. So you know, with Parise out, really it becomes what we talked about from Minnesota's perspective is they have to shut down the, all the shooting lanes and kill penalties, not take penalties. I mean, the the Stars' power play is deadly. So they were able to do that tonight, though. They held the Stars to just seventeen shots, and Dubnik Dubnik played well. He didn't play stellar. I mean, he. Uh, he stopped 54-59 through the first two games with a 9.15 save percentage. But what really shocked me was Kyrie Lettinen's play in the first two oh, games. Oh, yeah. He held a 9.79 save percentage heading into the night, finished with an 8.33. And that, I think, is is the defining point of the Dallas Stars. You know, I mean, we talked about it last time. I <laughs> I mean, it wasn't really tongue-in-cheek. I, I really don't like no, the you, I, I think situation in Dallas. I think you said, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. That's exactly what you said. <laughs> it's awful. I hate it. And I, I hate still it, do. I hate it. <laughs> well, the Wild won by committee tonight. They they played a solid defensive game. They controlled the puck. If Lettinen stumbles, then the Wild do pose a threat. But I see that less of a possibility and more likely that the Stars come around. I mean, Jason Spetz has been dominant. He's been the leading Corsi player in this series. Um with or without Tyler Sagan, I think the Stars can can take the Wild. But what we need to see happen is a solid defensive structure and good goaltending throughout the entirety of the series. Rest Sagan and start your next round with a healthy Sagan. That's the key because the Stars can't focus on the Wild. They've got to focus on round number two. You know, two. Like, like you said about the goaltending, 
it shouldn't surprise you that Lettinen had a couple good games and then he then he stinks up to join on one. It should it shouldn't surprise you. And um, another another part of that is Chris Russell was out uh, just from a general illness. I didn't I didn't hear any details, but Chris Russell was scratched, and um, that's a huge loss. You talk about defensive structure, and Chris Russell is a guy that blocks shots and gets in the way and makes it tough for people in front of the net. So goaltending aside, you got to think about that, and you wonder if if it's just like a small illness or wasn't feeling good for a day. You, you got to hope that Russell's back in the lineup if you're Lindy Ruff for Game Four. Yeah, absolutely. I think every every good team is allowed to have, you know, a slip up. But luckily they got off to a 2-0 start. I think they got that bad game out of their system. They just need to come back around and, and win game four and, and carry on. Um, the more rest they can offer Tyler Sagan, the better off they'll be. Yeah, and that game forward. was on the road too. I mean, it, it's it's never it's never an awful note to to split a game on the road. That's assuming you're not already down to nothing. But if you're the team with the advantage, it's never it's it's not a bad position to be in if you split on the road. Yeah, I I don't know, man. The the performance of the Wild tonight it does make me question. They 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 could because of Dallas's inconsistent defense and goaltending the wild could win another game in the series but I, I don't see him holding up for four it's kind of an anomaly that dallas had such a low shot total i mean they're normally putting up shots on everybody like that's not something you can sustain over a series to hold them to that to that kind of shot total no matter who's in the lineup so yeah i don't expect that to happen again no neither do i but it does set up for a you know more interesting game four i mean really the first two games were so weighted heavily in dallas's favor that it looked like a, a pretty boring series to watch. So we'll see what happens in game four, but I don't expect much, much from the wild. You know, that, uh, that St. Louis Chicago series, on the other hand, that's, that's looking pretty that's solid. Looking, that's looking a <laughs> lot different than what a lot of people suspected, man. Like in watching those games, the blues are, man, they're, they're moving the puck with like pinpoint passing accuracy and they're not hesitating at all. Like, the game-winning goal the other night, uh, Jaden Schwartz, like he didn't even try to corral the puck in front. Backus just gave him a nice pass from the goal line. He had just gotten the pass on his tape on the goal line, gave it right to Schwartz, and Schwartz just shot it right at the net, right off the right off the catch. It was a catch and release. Didn't even hold it and you know hold the stick too tight. But you, I've saw you see that in a lot of the the Blues goals in the series. They're moving the puck really well, really quick, very accurate, very decisively, and to beat any defense in, in the playoffs, like. That's what you have to do. You can't grip your stick too tight. You can't hold on the puck too long. And and with some with the way that some of those guys on on the Blues can handle the puck, that's really dangerous if their if their puck flow is going really well for them. Yeah, I mean, all three games have been decided by one goal. I mean, what a series this has been. It, it's got that feel to it. There's a, another series or two that have this feel to it to me as well, but it has that feel to it. Like we might be looking at at least a conference finalist appearance from from one of the two uh they're real close in terms of possession obviously the scores have been real close how much did you anticipate this being a goaltending battle because that's really what it boils down to i mean if you if you watched elliot play down the stretch and crawford had a great year uh it's not surprising especially given how last year's playoffs shook out and elliot got the snub from hitchcock this isn't surprising and it's great to see because you got two heavy potent teams and the goalies are stealing the show and that, that that's fun to watch in a playoff series as much as high scoring games are fun like you know like the islanders and panthers this is fun too i like watching the goalies duke it out oh it's been a hell of a series man elliot's posting a 963 versus crawford's 929 these two guys are playing lights out to to keep their teams in it and it's key too that st louis doesn't get down in this series Given Chicago's history, especially against the Blues, the Chicago, I'm sorry, St. Louis could not have lost game one or game three, in my opinion. They had to stay on top of this series. It doesn't really mean anything long term. that It's still wide open, but St. Louis has no, to stay ahead sh- of the sh- Chicago, Chicago is not a Black team Hawks. you can get down to in critical spots, such as game one where they set the tone and game three in the, in the, in the United Center. Like th- Those are both critical games, given the circumstances. What I've been impressed with is the Blues defensive game. You know, it's been Petrangelo and Bo Mister shutting down the Kane line. Um, they lead the league in takeaways right now. And the Blues actually lead in high danger scoring chances. So they're getting things done on both sides of the puck and getting good goaltending. But they're certainly up against it 
especially with a guy like Jonathan Taves, who's been doing everything to keep the Blackhawks in it. And uh, Duncan Keith returns. We've already talked about that, but he pots a goal and an assist in his first game back. Uh, he's leading the team in time on ice. Nick Jarvis well looks great. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, he certainly is. But it, it's it's real close up and down the lineup. I mean, between defenses, be, between scoring chances. I mean, it it looks solid. But you, you realize the Chicago Blackhawks have only scored one five on five goal in this series. And it really does speak to how close. Uh, well, is right given now. given the heavy hockey that St. Louis likes to play, that really doesn't surprise me. I mean, I understand that the Blackhawks are potent, but that really doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I think um, I had picked St. Louis in six. You would pick Chicago in seven. I think we're somewhere right in between on this series. What, what does that mean? Somewhere in between? That's the, that means it could go go any, anywhere in six and seven. <laughs> good call. Yeah, <laughs> made a goal on a limb Yeah, there. I think it good, man. <laughs> Watching those games, man. Colton Pareko's got a Weber-like slap shot. It's so disgusting. <laughs> uh, gr- Pareko's going to give them some options when it comes time to decide what to do with Shattenkirk. I mean, Pareko has really developed into a he's solid He's got NHL some player. work to do on the defensive side of the puck, but he's definitely got the size, and he's got the shot, and he's got the offensive capability. I, he does need to do a little work in his own end. I like the I. kid. I like Hitchcock too, and and I mean it's it's been said by everybody, but boy oh boy, if not for anything else, if not for the fan base or, or for the players on the St. Louis Blues or David Beckers, who's probably on his way out, the Blues have to get out of this round if Hitchcock wants to stay on board in St. Louis. It's it's going to be too much if they fail to get out of the first round, much less appear in the Western Conference Finals, which this team is. Yeah, built to this do. could go, this could go either way. I, either way, like I'm just going to end it with. It's it's been great hockey to watch. Yeah. Ducks down 2-0 to the Preds. What the hell? It's pretty incredible, man. They dropped 2-0. Yeah, at that's home. brutal. Like that would be different if the series was flipped the other way. Like if those two games would have been at Bridgestone Arena, like you'd be it'd be a little bit of a different narrative going back to Orange County, but the fact that they dropped two in Orange County, that that totally takes away home ice advantage from the Ducks and the Predators. Man, that building is loud. Like I watching games on TV and how the All Star game went, man. Like that arena is loud as hell. Those Preds fans are going to be jacked, and it really wouldn't surprise me if uh, the Ducks throw Anderson in instead of Gibson, and the Preds find a way to win Game Three, go up three nothing on them. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Not with the way uh, that power play is clicking. With Weber at the point and the way Philip Forsberg's playing and getting big guys like Smith and Wilson and uh, those guys involved. Yeah, the, the Predators defensive core and you know we we spoke to this in our previews, but that defensive group is is what's leading. Ryan the charge. Ellis in particular. And you know what else Ryan is, Ellis is, has been excellent. Yeah, Ellis has been. Yossi's got three assists. Weber with the game winner the other night, uh, second on the team in shots with eight shots. I mean, what more would you? expect from from Shea Weber. Pekka has been solid too. And that was what I felt would be the Achilles heel to the Nashville Predators. Rene didn't have a good season and came up against the Ducks who've been hot, but it's been Gibson who's been falling. And like you mentioned, with Frederick Anderson likely starting game three, you know, he did, he did get a shutout in the last regular season game for the Ducks. And I've, I've seen that trend during the course of the regular season where Gibson stumbles a little bit. Anderson comes in, puts up a good game. It, it could change things around for the Ducks, but the Ducks really need their, their top six to start clicking. You know, get special teams Perry. too. I mean, Boudreaux had comments after the game, like they're taking bad penalties, like untimely shit penalties. And I mean, I don't care who you start in goal, man. If you give that, if you give Philip Forsberg and Shea Weber and Yossi any extended looks or unnecessary looks on the power play, I don't care who you got in that. They're going to make you pay, man. When Weber's goal the other night, they just kept cycling the puck through Yossi. Yossi was the power play quarterback, and they just kept springing Weber on the left. He cranked a slap shot or two before he had the one-timer that scored. They were just springing him up, reloading him, letting him cock it. So, like, you just can't give that team power plays, man. And that's weird because that's what we would say about the Ducks (laughs) any given time. But given the way that, dude, Ryan Ellis can shoot, Yossi can shoot, Weber can shoot, they are so dangerous from the blue line on the power play. Yeah, that's that's a pretty that's a pretty lethal blue line, and it's real impressive. You know, I mean, one of the one of our favorite trades on the season was Johansson for Seth Jones, and they're doing this without Jones, who had an offensive upside certainly, but Johansson's actually leading all the players in this series in in Corsi four percentage. 
So he's he's driving possession, and he is real effective, although the point scoring's been pretty spread out in terms of the, the Nashville forwards. Um, he is contributing, and it's, it's making a big difference. I, I wonder, though, if ultimately <laughs> what we're looking at is the Anaheim Ducks regular season confined or compressed into a single series. You know, the first half of the season was so terrible for the Ducks. The first half of this series has been pretty terrible for the Ducks. I wonder if we see them turn it around like they did in the regular season and finish out strong, or if the Predators can sustain that pressure, get a win or two at home, and close them out. It'd be pretty shocking, and, you know, there's another coach that can't afford to lose in the no, first round. No, but they, I mean, the Ducks got to win four before the Predators win two, and the way the Preds are looking, I don't know about those odds. It'd be great for that oh, fan yeah. base, and, and they oh, certainly yeah. deserve it. So, We'll see what happens, uh, but that game three yeah, is pivotal. Speaking of, speaking of games, that uh, King Sharks game is happening right now. We don't know anything about it, so mm-hmm. sorry for our outdated no. our, uh, out, <laughs> our outdated commentary, but we want to be up front with you. Man, that first game was nuts. Um, the Sharks were up by one towards the end, and L.A. was just pouring it on uh, the, like the last minute and a half. like I was like falling off my couch the last minute and a half because they were just getting chance after chance after chance, and the Sharks held out. And Joe Pavelski's been – he has just been absolutely ridiculous this series. But uh, but, but history oh, yeah. will tell you. I mean, just look at a couple years ago. Sharks go up three zip, and then L.A. storms back four straight. I mean, I don't think that type of lightning can strike twice, but – San Jose is looking for real right now, and I the, the thing the thing is the games haven't been bad. It's not like LA's like playing like crap. They're really not. Like these are this is just tight hockey, and the Sharks are squeaking the games out. Just like we're taught, like we just talked about the Ducks and the Predators. They 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 eke those two wins out on the road, which is that's huge advantage. Yeah, parallel to the Chicago St. Louis series, this is the best series going right now. Even though it's a two zero deficit, no, the, the, the hockey's just great. You know the. The hockey's great, and it's it's not a battle of the goaltenders. You know, Jonathan Quick against his understudy, Martin Jones, who's getting the job done, man. I mean, they, neither one of them, in my opinion, have been stellar. Um, but most of the goals that Jones has let in have been kind of wonky, you know, and I'd say half of them, uh, nobody would have stopped. You know, crazy bounces. But what I like from him is he's tracking the puck well. You know, I've seen a lot of deflection-type saves and bouncing puck-type saves, saves through traffic. Um, Jonathan Quick is doing his usual thing. He's making some pretty phenomenal saves to keep them in the game, but it's all been neutral zone play. It's all been puck possession, puck management. It's been really, really tight, but yeah, you're right. Joe Pavelski's been ridiculous, man. Three goals and an assist heading into tonight. Hurdle with a goal. He's been lights out. He hasn't really found the back of the net many times. I think he had a goal called off in game one and then a goal for the Kings went off of his, his skate. So, I mean, technically he's put the, the puck in the net three times in this series, but, you know, he's looked really good. And I'm real impressed with the fact that Joe Thornton hasn't scored yet. Actually, leading into tonight's game, didn't have a single shot on goal. And this is a guy that was a point per game in the regular season. So if Joe Thornton can get clicking, boy, that top line's real, real dangerous. And uh, Brent Burns, man, looking like a con Smythe Looking like a hot point. mess. Goal and two assists. <laughs> he's been awesome man i mean he could he could be in the running for the con Smythe if he keeps it up leading the team in in shots on goal with eight leading the team in time on ice got a goal and two assists strong norris candidate i mean this guy yeah been and solid. it's so crazy because the narrative is flipped because like just like just the other season when when they were using him at forward i thought it was an awesome revelation i was like dude he's such a nasty forward you got to leave him at forward but just like the bufflin thing man nah when you got the when you got that kind of skill and you're big and you do know how to play d that's a game changer on the blue line man so many teams are looking for that guy on the blue line that you got to put him back there yeah and i i think the difference in this series so far has got to be that blue line. You know, the the Sharks' top four has been shutting down the, the shooting lanes, blocking a lot of shots. Um, the Kings are a little bit depleted now, having lost Alec Matt Martinez. Matt Green's been out. Matt Green's always out. I don't really out. want to talk about it, but Voinov. It's like you, if you throw Martinez, Green, and Voinov into that mix, I mean, we're not talking about their defense being at a deficit, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, one interesting thing that I noticed from the Kings, because their possession numbers look normal, you know, they're they're holding the puck, but 
but Kopitar, Dowdy, Carter, and Toffoli have all been held pointless thus far. But Carter leads the, the series in high danger scoring chances. Pearson leads the series in five on five Corsi. And Carter and Toffoli are both among shots leaders in the series. So that that seventies line, that second line, Carter, Pearson, and Toffoli, if they can actually just get a little more puck luck, we might actually see the Kings bounce back in this series. They're good yeah, enough. Yeah, they are. Um Dropping the first two at home, given the way the Kings have an affinity for battling in the playoffs, man, like I'd have to, I, I believe they'd take game three. Like they, I, I don't see him getting swept. I don't see him going down three zip unless you want to see a flip to that flip of that narrative from two years ago. I don't know. I just, this the, the hockey has the type of field. This should be a six game, six, seven game series, but strange things happen. If they do sweep them or they take them out in five, the the series total won't be indicative of the way the games have been played. Oh, no, uh, no. these are games that are definitely worth staying up late for. Let's jump over to the East, man. We got to wrap up these these playoff contests. What do you think about the Islanders and Panthers, man? That's been a pretty. It nuts has series. goal scorings happen. Unlikely sources of goals. You got like Thomas Hickey scoring, Ryan Pulak. Man, it, the, the, neither team's having trouble finding the back of the net. I, I will say that Grice has looked a little better in net to me, even though he's led in the goals. But he's made a lot of good saves, and this really—I think this really comes down to Luongo, man. I—I'm really disappointed by how he's approached this. In the first game, every single one of those goals he went down way too early, was too back, too far back in his net. So, you know, he was leaving his shoulders open, the midsection open. It, it didn't look good, and and even even yesterday. It didn't look good. It might be too little too late, but if they go down three one, I don't know how you don't play Montoya. I, if I'm if I'm Gerard Gallant, I I'm strongly considering playing Montoya in the next game because I mean those those young kids are cycling and playing so well. I mean like Riley Smith playing well, Barkov's playing great, Yager's looking good. I, I they're playing so well that I would hate for Luongo to be the reason that that it goes south. It would be disappointing and. That's what the Islanders have keyed in on, you know, from the drop of the puck in the first game, they went straight for the veterans. You know, they were physical on Yager. Uh, they got through Brian Campbell and they, they really made Roberto Luongo look silly. So it was that depth scoring early, you know, from guys like Nelson and Strom that we spoke of to, to get the Islanders the edge in, in the first game. Luongo comes back and shuts the door until about three minutes remaining in game two when Tavares scores. Since that point in time, Tavares has been lights out. It's been very difficult for the Panthers to shut down that top line of Tavares, Nielsen, and um, Ocposo. But that top line's combined for 14 points total, man. Eight points even strength. That's the key. The, the Panthers have to shut down that line because in terms of depth scoring, I don't think the Islanders can keep up. The Panthers are hopefully going to get Vincent Trocek back by game five if they last long enough to see him. Um, as of now, Riley Smith, like, like you mentioned, uh, UC Jokinen, Nick Bukestad, they're driving possession. They look excellent, man. Uh, I haven't, I wasn't really expecting this type of breakout for Riley Smith, but he leads the league in scoring with three goals and four assists at the moment. Once he gets a guy like Vincent Trotrek down the middle, I think it could be real real deadly for the for the Florida Panthers. And that top line, although they've looked good, the top line's been shut down for the most part. Um Barkov, <clears throat> I want to key in though, key in on though, um right now he leads the series in high danger scoring chances with eleven and he leads the league in the postseason with nineteen shots. So if that top line can start producing, they get Vincent Trocek back, then all of a sudden the Panthers have three lines scoring. You might have to look past this goaltending, if you want to call it a battle, and just try to outscore their opposition. Yeah, the defense has got to play a little better. Um, taking Jakob Kindle out of the lineup. I know the Panthers lost, but taking Jakob Kindle out of the lineup seemed to, seemed to help with their defense a little bit. So um, I would be shocked if we see Kindle back in the lineup for another game or two. Uh, Matheson will most likely stay in for as long as they're alive. Um, what I will say is we talk about, we talk about bottom six all the time in the playoffs. And I know there's chances back and forth. No one's really got, 
awful offensive possession numbers uh, as far as either team goes because there's been chances left and right but I fear for the Panthers because of that because of that checking line of the Islanders like if they really want to start keying in on guys they've got that line to do it the Martin Zizekas Clutterbuck line like that's all they got to do is 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 use the line matchups well and get those guys out there. I got, I got whoever's clicking. And that's the thing is the Panthers aren't all clicking at one time. So whatever line is clicking, they throw that line out there against them and it could be pretty easy to neutralize them. Yeah. It's a pretty punishing. If line, the Panthers then. don't win the next game, they're toast. I mean, they're just done. There's that, that that's just kind of evident. Oof. I don't know. This is such a hard one to call. I really thought that, that the Panthers had the edge in this series overall. And you know what we're seeing from the Islanders basically is Tavares establishing his dominance. He got a lot of questions throughout the regular season that I don't really think he deserved. So I could see it going either way. <clears throat> Honestly, even if the Islanders win the next game, that return of, of Trocek, that looming return of Trocek makes a big difference in my book. And then also the play of the, the Florida Panthers goaltending because you know the Islanders got Hamannick back, but they are down Lee. That takes him down in, in terms of depth scoring. And the goaltending's just been kind of a nightmare for the Islanders for a while now. Yeah. So, boy, oh boy, it's, it's it's tough to call. I could really see either one of them what? coming out of go it. Ahead, go ahead, but go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, if the Panthers do, then we'll probably end up seeing them play the Lightning by the way things are looking, which would be a real interesting second-round matchup. But it's it's too early to... To suggest that's going to happen. Yeah, be a sure. Wings fan, man. Come on, you know, Wings got a Wings got a shot. We'll get we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> um, one thing I did want to mention with the Islanders is how underrated that trade for Shane Prince was, and he's been just fine, and he's helping them out with that secondary third tier scoring, which is great, great for the Islanders. They needed it. Yeah, that's what they need. They they can't lean so heavily on that top line. You know, Nielsen's up there, which has been really a match made in heaven, man. I, I, I wouldn't have, I don't even think I would have tried it to be honest with you, but you know, cause Nielsen has been so effective as that second line center. We've, we've talked about it before, but having him next to Tavares and Ocposo is really, really clicked. Uh, so taking Nielsen off that second line, it, it really ups the ante for everyone else to perform and contribute to the offense. And apparently there's no goaltending in this series. So <laughs> depth scoring is is going to get it done yep absolutely but as you alluded to a potential panthers lightning matchup well that brings us to detroit and tampa red wings look dead in the water after two games that second game especially um as, as a lot of analysts said like this is the most phys- most physical series that in the, in the entire playoffs i mean dude look at some of these matchups you got la san jose you got even pittsburgh new york at philly washington like you, you, would you really have have pegged Tampa Detroit to be that physical of a series? I mean, not saying it wasn't going to be physical, but to be like the most physical series like that, it is just nuts out there. I think the one thing that Detroit has done well uh, going into Game Three uh, was they've always wanted to use Abdulkader as a, a big winger to create space, but it hasn't always been working out. They've put him on a line with uh, Glenn Denning and Shahan, I believe that's what it is. Yeah, Glenn Denning and Shahan. And that is that's you talk about the Islanders uh, shutdown line like that's that's got to be up there, man. Shahan's a very smart two way hockey player. Glenn Denning's been a defensive maestro the second half of the season and in some of these games and especially game three shutting down Tyler Johnson. You got Advocator who's hitting everything that moves there or sucker punching it. So, <laughs> I mean, that's that's weird. I haven't yeah. seen that from Blashill all year. I haven't seen him uh, put together a line like that, and that 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 could be a very effective way to shut down Tyler Johnson. Uh, you could look at uh, Jimmy Howard coming out of the net as something, but Mrazek didn't face a whole lot that last game, and he didn't have to. So I don't pin that on Jimmy Howard. Jimmy Howard had the one egregious goal where he he got beat on the wraparound. He slid all the way around the outside of the net and gave up the game-winning goal in Game 2. That was tough. He was a little overly aggressive, but if anybody knows anything about Peter Mrazek, he's twice as aggressive as Howard, so you can't really peg that on Howard because Mrazek's been guilty of letting in goals like that all the time, like a Jonathan Quick where you're overplaying your angles and, and going with your instinct. So... um. The Red Wings seem to have a threshold on their juice, man. 
Like they're they've got to win the next game. Like the, with the way that like Kucherov, dude, God damn, dude, Kucherov and Johnson. When I was sitting here talking, well, Stamkos is out. Oh, but this, this, and that. It's like, oh shit, Kucherov and Johnson, man. Like, yeah, if the Red Wings don't win the next game, I think I think uh, that Tampa Bay firepower will come back out and not get shut out, and they they will do that damage again because they did it the first two games relentlessly. Yeah, Tyler Johnson led led scoring in all of the all of the playoffs with uh, six points in the first two games. And, you know, he's been the Red Wings killer over the last two seasons. And I think what we're seeing from Blashill and the Red Wings collectively is, is really their last resort. You know, they have to play this physical game and grind it out because they can't match them skill wise. The, the offense has been inept still for the D- Detroit Red Wings. Um, guys like Tatar and Nyquist, again, I say it all the time, they have to step up, but right now your team leader in shots is Pavel Datsuk. And this is the guy that's, you know, probably leaving the team. Uh, I haven't been impressed with goaltending. Howard hasn't done it for me. You know, Morezik didn't see much to come in and, and get the shutout. The wings played the way that they had to, to win the game. But the poor defensive zone coverage that I've seen throughout, they're leaning so heavily on Cronwell, who isn't the same two-way defenseman that he once was. I still don't like Detroit's chances. I really don't because... That top line is so deadly in Tampa. And maybe you can shut it down with, with Abby and Shahan and Glenn Denning. But, you know, we're seeing other lines and other players step up for the Lightning as well. You know, Drew ends real active on the puck, making good decisions, chipping in offensively. Uh, he leads the team in high danger scoring chances. It, it kind of, it's weird, man. It almost draws some parallels to how Stamkos was, was accepted in his first season where, you know, he wasn't being played or, or leaned on too heavily. And then once he was, he was just lights out. So Detroit's going to have to play this grinded out physical game and really just try to beat down on the, on the lightning if they want to get yeah. through. And I, I, su- I suppose it could happen, but I'm, I'm still not feeling great about it. The one thing that I noticed watching that last game is Brendan Smith brought a different energy to the blue line for him. Uh, Brennan Smith was hitting left and right, and Brennan Smith's always been known to to mix it up with people, and I think that kind of leads the charge, along with putting that checking line together, getting him back in the lineup. I know he was scratched the first couple games because of his inconsistent play, but there's certain guys that just raise a level of play when the when the physical stakes have arrived, and uh, I believe he's one of those guys. And he he looked the part. He looked the part yesterday, and it looked real good. And it'd be a mistake for them to take him out of the lineup, and hopefully he can continue it. That hit he threw on that hit he threw on Paquette was nasty. It sent that dude flying to another stratosphere, and he he was looking pretty worse for the wear getting up from that hit. Well, the Lightning. I mean, they've impressed minus Stamkos and Strawman, and that was the that was the question mark. So, you know, if they can manage to to fight through the Red Wings without those two players and get one or both of them back at some point in the postseason, then we could see a reinvigorated Lightning squad. Detroit, on the other hand, if they can get through, you know, they're going to have to carry that same type of approach, but they're really going to have to up the scoring efforts to to get through some of these, these potent offensive teams such as Pittsburgh or Washington. I mean, you name it. There's a lot of goal scoring going on in the East. Detroit's not one of them. What's really funny is like the it, it rears its head. Like the way the Wings won that last game, it's so reminiscent of Western Conference playoff hockey. Like the team may have been out of the West for a couple of years, but when push comes to shove, they're playing like a West team. Take the team out of the West, but you can't take the West out of the team. I really don't have a whole lot to say about Washington Philly, dude. Like that's they got they got trounced. Philly got trounced six one today on Ed Snyder night, which you hate to see. They were giving out plastic wristbands in honor of Ed Snyder for the game, and apparently uh, the the Flyers had to take a penalty because the fans pelted them on the ice because of their poor play. That tells you all you need to know. I I did watch the game, and boy, I I wasn't impressed. I mean, I I hate to see it for Philadelphia, especially given the what the night was supposed to represent. And by the way, those T-shirts are awesome. I don't know if you got to look at those, no, but they I didn't. had. Uh, Ed Snyder's silhouette inside the Flyers logo is pretty awesome, pretty awesome. But yeah, a lot of a lot of cheap shit from the Flyers tonight. Um, they couldn't keep up with the Caps, and they decided to to play that type of game. Uh, Orpic got hurt in the game; looked like a concussion to me. That's 
pretty big for the Washington Capitals. I mean, I haven't been real big on Brooks Orpic of late, but Orpic does bring a heavy hitting game and the Capitals need that that type of player on the on the blue line. They did go out and get Weber. He's probably going to have to step in. Orlov got real lucky to escape serious injury on a late hit by Belmar. Um, that was a bad hit. The the Orlov hit, really, I don't see a problem with it, but the the Belmar hit on Orlov was You mean, was you bad, mean the, 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 so or, the Orpic hit? <clears throat> the Orpic hit, I thought, okay. was clean. Yeah, just it was, clarifying. It was white on, just on clarifying. Orpic. Yeah. Yeah. But Orlo, or, Orlov uh, got hit from behind headfirst into the boards. I mean, it could have been a real serious neck injury. Uh, and after he gets on the bench, one of those bracelets hits him in the face. So, I mean, it's not a good look. Not a good look. And, and you know, I mean, if you're the Philadelphia Flyers, you hoped that you could keep up with the Capitals. A lot of people thought so they could. I, I did too. I thought they would at least make yep. a series out of it. But they just couldn't hold up. And what it came down to, you know, the first game was what we spoke of. We spoke of a battle between Holtby and Mason, and we saw that in the first game. But after that, you know, Mason lets in that half-court shot, and it had to have killed his confidence. But the Caps are flying high. They're first in in power play percentage, and they're first in PK. They didn't let in one single goal on the penalty kill. So the, the Caps are getting started right. Um, Carlson and Ovechkin are tied for second in the league with three goals apiece. You got Backstrom and Carlson second in the league in points. Um, Kuznetsov finally scores his first goal. Dude, he's so dynamic. He's so creative. He's held off the score sheet in the first couple of games, but it wasn't for a lack of effort. That kid looks good. The the Capitals are are looking like the team that we all expected them to, to be in the postseason. That's good news for the league. It's good it's news. Good for the news. East. It's mainly good news because they were playing the Flyers, and like you, like you, like you just said, we both really thought Philly could give them a run for their money based on the way they were playing and the way Mason was playing. Uh, you really thought they could give them a run mm-hmm. for their money, and if they can do this to Philly, when we thought that might happen, we we said that in the brief that we thought Philly was not just a team. We thought they were the one team in that in that opening round that could give them a run and if they're doing this to philly they can make sure it work at anyone and in the east in the east in the east i'm not saying that again against the western conference but in the east well tonight was real you know real telling of of why the flyers are or partly why the flyers failed it's just bad penalties you know and something i want to get into a little later we want to run through all these teams and just just kind of mention what's going on with them. Um, there's something I do want to touch on before we close out is that Wilson versus Simmons fight in game one. I think that in itself could have been a serious turning Brilliant point move by series. Wilson. Brilliant move by Wilson. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd trade uh, Wilson for well, Simmons that, any that day, fight Wasn't any that game. fight sparked by a hit that Wilson threw? I'm, threw I'm a hit on, on I didn't like the hit. Yeah. I I'm, I like Wilson. I like what he brings because I without him in that in that Capitals lineup, I think they're at a detriment. Like I like what he brings to that lineup. I didn't like I didn't like that hit on McDonald when I saw it. No, and you know that's Wilson what he's supposed does to do. That's what he's supposed to do things. out there. He's supposed to piss mm. you off. He's supposed to agitate you. It's exactly what he did. He got Simmons all pissed off. Simmons is a leader and one of their top scorers, but someone who will mix it up to prove a point and. He took him off the ice late in the game. It's exactly what he was trying to do, and it worked. Beautiful. Um, this is going to be a short conversation because this is the only series that's at uh, 1-1 right now. Uh, well, the LA Kings, San Jose, technically, but at the end of this podcast, it'll it'll be over. But um, And it's the, the circumstances surrounding this series. Um, you have Lundquist go down. It, Ranta has to play. Uh, Zatkoff has to play, and for Game Three, I th- honestly, you can kind of look at this series as a as a clean slate. You know what I mean? Like it, it seems like the actual hockey of Evgeny Malkin assimilating back in the lineup. I think you can look at this as a best of five series, and you can just wipe the first two games clean because because of the goaltending and the dynamics surrounding it. You, I think you can throw those first two games out the window. There was really nothing to extrapolate from those contests, in my opinion. Um. But Flurry and Lundqvist look good to go, and I think even Matt Murray is up and around. So 
Uh, totally different dynamic because Flurry's played great the past couple of years, uh, especially even in the postseason. The Flurry's been very good. He's matured, and I mean Lundqvist is Lundqvist, so we don't need to see these backup goalies in there. And not and especially when you're talking about Flurry and Lundqvist, you don't need to see these backup goalies. So yeah, the, I I really don't have much to comment on. I mean, you can throw all the stats out you want, but I I think the dynamic will change starting with game three to where I kind you, you kind of just gotta call it a best of five at this point and, and see what happens. That's a real interesting point, and I, I like that. I like that vantage point that you're you're looking at it from. Um, the Rangers, you know, like I said last time we spoke, are a real hard team to figure out. The offense is is real spread out. Um, I've been impressed with a couple of players on the team. You know, Chris Kreider being one. The one-two punch down the middle with Stepan and, and uh, Brassard. Looking pretty decent, you know, as usual. Nash is invisible. <laughs> never be able to, never be able to figure that one out. Um, but boy, oh boy, the real two, two real interesting things beyond the goaltending in this series, both kind of stem from injuries. The top six in Pen- in Pittsburgh has been what it is. You know, Patrick Hornquist scores a hat trick in the first game. Crosby gets that nasty breakaway goal. Um, and then you've got Nick Benino slotted in between Haglin and Kessel. That's been gross. But now you get Malkin back. Malkin came back and played a lot of minutes in game two, which I wasn't sure they should do. I mean, they know about his health better than I do at this point. Well, it's not even not even the well, health. It's the chemistry. It's not even about his health. It's the chemistry of the team. Like you, you, And that's what yeah. I'm alluding to here is, is what do you do with him? Because the options are this. You either replace Benito with him as your second line center, you put him on the third line, which they did tinker with um, in between, who's that, uh, Rust and Sheary. I think they played him oh. in between. That looked pretty decent. Because those kids have looked or, pretty decent. The kids, well, Connor Sheary's been everywhere. I, lo- I love the way the kid plays. But here's here's the problem. If you put Malkin on the third line as not to disrupt the chemistry in, within the top six, it makes sense but you're not going to restrict Malkin's ice time. So if you're putting him on the third line, you're taking minutes away from that. that but that might be six. good because the Rangers do take penalties, and that means that your top six is safe for the for the power play. And the, the one thing yeah. you got to know about, well, I mean, everybody already knows it. The one thing about putting Evgeny Malkin on a line like that is a lot of times when Evgeny Malkin's healthy, he doesn't need help. He's a great one-on-one player. Like he can just he can pick the puck up and do anything he wants with it. Like he's like, okay, this is gonna sound crazy because his frame is big, but his hands and his vision are great. Like he's not as good as either player, but he's like an odd Datsuk Ovechkin hybrid. Like if that makes any sense to you, like he's got he's got the bull instincts. He can push through people. He can make the one on one plays like Ovechkin, uh, like off off the rush. But he can also finesse and have dirty hands like a Datsuk. I'm comparing him to two other Russian players, obviously. That's why. Because he has those aspects to his game. Like, he doesn't need other people to play with him to thrive. Unlike a Crosby or somebody, you know, like Crosby's got to have the right people to play with him or else it looks goofy. Malkin doesn't. That's why I don't think it's a horrible idea to put him on the third line because he can do it one on one. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, the other interesting injury to me was the fact that Girardi was out for game two and in that first game Mark Stahl and Dan Girardi were paperweights if McDonough if McDonough was in this series would Dan Girardi really matter I mean he's been a he's been a thin exoskeleton of himself the past year and a half you know he has been but Vigneault's I mean yeah you don't have you don't have have a choice the guy that's really stepped up is Kevin and then they've had to rely on him and guys like Brady Skay Yep. Yep. He's Dylan logging McElrath. big minutes. Uh, Dylan McElrath, I know. It's it's hard to see the Rangers getting out of this series when when you break everything down. But what it all boils down to is that goalie situation. If Flurry and Murray can't go, Lundquist can steal this series. He proved it in game two. He's proved it throughout his career, especially against the Penguins, and that's that's the defining. Point yeah, but what I, sure. from what I've seen, I think Murray and Fleury are ready to go. So 
if Fleury isn't, I feel a lot better with Murray in the net than Zatkoff. And don't don't get it don't get me wrong, man. That first period of the first game, Zatkoff was. I mean, actually more than the first period, but Zatkoff was he was outstanding in the first game. But to to rely on him to be that way throughout a series, I don't know about all that. That that's not going to hold up. Yeah. If you look at Zatkoff's regular season numbers and his projections, they let like we talked about in the last podcast. You know, they left Matt Murray in the minors for a reason to get a bunch of playing time because they know that he's their true backup goalie for the playoffs, and it's not Zatkoff. Zatkoff's just kind of there. But here's hoping. But just for hockey and great Eastern Conference hockey and rivalries, let's just hope Flurry's good to go because it's a great series, it's a great, great matchup and and great goaltending matchup. So let, hopefully Flurry's just ready to go. And like I said, I'm not even going to throw a prediction out there. I'm not even going to speculate. Like I said, man, I'm I'm wiping my I'm wiping the dry erase board clean, and I'm looking at this as a best of five. I want to see what happens in Game Three before I even I want yeah I want to reserve my judgment until Game Three. Because I think those first two games were kind of an anomaly, and you can just write them off. I like that approach. So we've kind of touched on all of these series where they're at right now. Obviously, obviously, there's a lot of hockey yet to play. You got a favorite series right now? Ooh, based on game three and two and the animosity, I really do like that Tampa Detroit one because I am a Red Wings fan. But if I really had to say. Oh man, there's a couple good ones. That LA San Jose, even though it's two 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 nil, the hockey and that's been incredible. But I mean, come on, man, we'd both be fools to say anything other than St. Louis Chicago, and you know that. Right like, you, but 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 <laughs> the hockey's been great in the in the San Jose LA series. The hockey's been great in the physicality, and the hockey in the Florida New York series has been great too because it's just high scoring, high octane. You're watching a lot of a lot of good. It's just great. It's it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch. And yeah, for the for the way that postseason hockey is supposed to be played, it's St. Louis Chicago, LA San Jose. But if you're a fan of goal scoring and nothing but, it's that Islanders in uh Well, in even, even potentially that Dallas-Minnesota one, just seeing how many goals Minnesota put up today. But it's not good. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know why I brought that up. I will say that, regrettably, I haven't watched or paid as much. I mean, I have watched but not paid as much attention to that Nashville-Anaheim series because of the, the game times. You know, like it's hard to stay up late for those, being that we're – in the Eastern time zone, but um, I have gone back, watched the condensed games and it looks like good hockey, but I didn't get a chance to watch any of that live. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. That's, that's how playoffs go for me. There's so many games that I want to, to key in on, on a nightly basis that I end up watching either the full or condensed versions, the, the morning or the night after and trying to play catch up on, on a lot of the games. Uh, but that's how it goes. I mean, you know, there's so many games on a nightly basis and they all mean so much. Um, it's a great time of the year, but it's it's not one for, for much rest. No, that's for absolutely sure. not. And we both have infant children, so fuck rest, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. the way it goes. Well, um, so, man, that's that's the state of the, the, the playoff series, but there's definitely been... There's definitely been some happenings that are going to have some big implications later. Uh, Toronto making those deals to extend uh, Kadri and Riley uh, six years apiece. Uh, I think Riley five per season and Kadri 4.5 per season. Is that right? That's right, man. Those are excellent, excellent deals. I love them. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I'm going to be com- completely honest. I'm not a capologist, and I don't understand uh, fully the whole uh, buying or letting go of unrestricted free agent years and RFA years, stuff like that, because that's what you hear attached to these contract talks or you know, people commenting on them on other podcasts and other media outlets. I don't totally understand that language and dialogue, so I'm not really I'm not going to get into well, that. Well, it's... it's- the magic number is, is the age twenty seven. Well, when they say when they say oh you're buying they, unrestricted free agent years, I don't. I, I guess I don't understand what that means. I think generally it's the intention is to lock up a player at a set cap number, you know, preferably a good one, and get him through those years so that he doesn't hit UFA 
and and hit that that big contract at the age of 27. He'd hit that b- big contract more or less after his I prime. Gotcha. You know that it's been been pretty obvious that NHL players hit their prime around the age 24. It's 24 to to 26, 27 is when they're in their prime years. I got you, man. Um, it's not looking so bad. Like I, I haven't really seen anybody uh, downing these contracts at all. Um, it's actually right in the wheelhouse. Like for Riley, Riley's going to, I mean, come on, man. Riley's undoubtedly the number one defenseman uh, of the Leafs future, but you also got guys as comparables, like recent, recently signed deals, like a Ole Mata, a John Klingberg. Those guys just signed relatively similar deals. I don't have the numbers mm-hmm. directly in front of me, but you know, um, they're pretty close. And so it, it, it's right in that wheelhouse. And then a guy like Kadri, I mean, it is six years. It is 4.5. But I mean, look what they're, look what they're paying Tyler Bozak. And based off of Kadri's production, I mean, 4.5 is totally affordable. And the best part of it is it's totally tradable. Like you hang on to him for a couple of years. His attitude's gotten a lot better the past couple of years. I mean, Babcock loves him. And uh, so does Dubis and Shanahan. They like Kadri. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't have signed this deal if they didn't, didn't. They're not desperate. They've got options down the middle in the future. They could end up with Austin Matthews. They've got Willie Nylander. There's all that garbage about Stamkos coming. Like they're not desperate and they still have Bozak. You know what I mean? So, and Bozak can play the two spot. So they're not desperate to retain Kadri. You know, like a lot of people thought his rights or he would be traded by the draft or maybe even the deadline. We thought he might be on the move of the deadline, perhaps for the right right offer, right team. So, uh, it's it's a totally movable I'm, contract if you get a couple years more do, like down the line. Yeah, I, I'm actually really glad you brought this up. Um, it's been kind of a, <laughs> you know back and forth about playoff action. There's just been so much hockey. So anyone that's hung on to this episode long enough to, to get to this stage, thank you. Uh, it's it's hard to cover all these series and, and be as enthusiastic about them as we are watching the games. It's a lot to digest. But this Kadri and, and Riley signing, this is something I wanted to talk about. And we, we talked on the phone about it mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, we both wanted to record right away. But yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. I mean, Nazem Kadri, uh, first in team points. Well, I'm sorry, fourth in team points last season with nine goals and 27 assists. But that shooting percentage, you know, we talked about all of Kadri's underlying numbers, uh, I believe, in our first or second podcast. So it's real relevant that we go ahead and, and follow up with these two guys and these signings. But uh, had he shot to the league average shooting percentage, he would have put in 27 goals this year. And so 4.5 for your second line center that's capable of, you know, 25 to 30 goals, 60 to 70 points, possibly from Nazem Kadri, depending on who he's playing with. And I mean, let's not forget who he's put these numbers up with. You know, he's playing with like Michael Grabner. You know, he's not playing with elite level skill. No. And considering the fact that the Maple Leafs are just going to get better, paying Kadri 4.5 over the next six years is, is an absolute Well, that, and he, he also, and, he gets them power plays. He's he's so, I mean, yeah, he embellishes, but he's been fined a league high amount of times. But at the same token, the refs continue to give him the calls, and he puts them on the power play. And when you've got those types of type of skilled young forwards that they have, you don't want to put them on the power play. And if he's, if he's, if he's playing on the power play and helping you get power plays, that's even, that's an added bonus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you talk about comparables. I've got and, the numbers uh, here, man. Well, are you talking about Kadri? Sorry, I went ahead. I'm talking about, yeah, I was talking about Kadri. Um, Artem Anisimov, similar contract, Sean Couturier, Brian Little, Mike Fisher. And I mean, you know, those are all pretty respectable players, no doubt. Kadri's got more but, upside. Uh, Nazem Kadri, for what he brings to that team on the second line, yeah, I'd, I'd take that contract any day. But you were talking about comparables to Riley? Yeah, yeah, I just pulled it up. Um, Oli Mata signed that big deal, and he's getting he's getting a little – he's getting a, a tiny shade under 4.1, and um, John Klingberg's getting 4.25. So and, – and Riley's younger. <laughs> Riley's younger, so – yeah, he's younger and old, he's man. he's phenomenal, man. His puck skills are incredible. I mean, I I like Klingberg, and Klingberg Klingberg's got a lot to offer. And Klingberg's like a year and a half older, 
But I would I would say that Riley's defensive acumen's a little more advanced than a guy like Klingberg. That that's my opinion. Um I would I would speculate on Mata or I would I'd give you my opinion, but Mata's been hurt on and off so much that uh Mata's kind of seen as a risk reward type guy right now cuz I mean you, you you think you know what you're getting but he has had a lot of injury trouble so but he looks good and that's hey, look, man, hence hence why he's for, in the lower for, end of that 4 million dollar range because you know you can't give him more than that yeah i mean for a puck moving defenseman plays both sides of the ice he's been tasked with you know some of the most difficult minutes on the blue line in toronto at the age of 22 I mean, if he projects, if if he only just projects to be a number two defenseman, it's still a great deal. I mean, I, I think Toronto's probably paying a little more in the first year of that contract than maybe what they would have liked. But what they get long term overall for Morgan Riley at five million, it's it's a great deal. And what I really, really love about the way that the Leafs handled these contracts, we saw the same thing happen at, at the trade deadline. They, they set, set the, the market. Tone. There's so many. There's they so many the RFA guys coming out of Anaheim and other markets, and they set the market. And yep. uh, before you yep. go on, the, the I, I knew there was another guy in the back of my head that that I wanted to throw out as a comparable to the Riley contract that was closer, and I found it, and I th- I finally clicked in my head. Uh, Chris Tanev. Uh, that yeah, and Chris mm. Tanev's locked up through 2020 at 4.45, and that was the I knew there was another guy I was thinking of, and I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but it was Chris Tanev, which is good because Tanev's a, a very good two way defenseman, young, 26 years old, and the the Canucks were right to lock that dude up, and that's a fair contract, and so that's that's where you see the Riley deal as yeah, the Leafs the Leafs gave him the the even five, but I mean that contract's going to be so worth it. I mean, look look at what the Senators yeah. are paying Fanuf that they traded out of town. You know what I mean? And they didn't. There was no yeah. salary retention. And then you're going to pay Riley less than that? Come on, man. You know, I, I was taking a look myself here, and you know, comparable cap hits to players that are you know on term right now. It's comparable to McDonough, Falk, Cronwell, oh yeah, Falk's the other one. Falk's Martin, the other big one. Edler, Bo Meester. McDonald. Yeah, well, and I, McDonald's <laughs> actually played pretty well for them the last quarter of the season, and he's been okay. Yeah, but he's not a five million. No, but anyways, God, re- God no. rest. As but, hey, you know soul. what? Here I am. I'm looking at these these contracts, and then you know we can we can jump off this here. But um, comparable defensemen entering UFA status. I see some names. Uh, Tory Krug. Is are you a UFA or RFA? Some, UFA, uh, Tory Krug, Keith Yandel, Alex Goligoski. But check this out, man. Check this out. The Leafs are going to have all kinds of cap space available. What, sign right? all of them? That's just kidding. No. <laughs> but maybe one in particular, you know, and, and it, it came to mind because we were talking about all these playoff series and, and one guy that I forgot to kind of get into and, and express my love and appreciation for in the NHL. There's one guy that has gone to many teams and played with many a young defenseman. Brian Campbell. And made them elite-level defensemen, and that's Brian <laughs> Campbell. Knew you were going to say that. That's Brian Campbell. He turned Aaron Eckblad real quick in, into a solid uh, NHL. I'm not sure Dude, he, he could be. He could be real good on yeah. the Leafs if the Leafs are willing to part with that money because he's getting way too much money right now. But if the Leafs are willing to give him six a year for a two-year deal or something, the Leafs could scoop him up. Yeah. Well, I, we both agree. Those are those are great signings, and I love the way that they set the market. And you know, other teams, other management Anaheim groups are looking is, around. An- Anaheim is Lindholm's. fucked. Yeah, Anaheim's in trouble. Anaheim's in real trouble. Yep, they certainly are. Um, okay, so I want to flip the script. We had some other stuff we wanted to get into on this episode, but uh, they are debates we we wanted to get into the fighting as we've seen from like the Tampa Bay series the Washington Philly series also wanted to get into a little bit of the uh, coaches challenge offsides challenge stuff but that we're going to see more egregious examples of that type of stuff in the postseason so those conversations will stay relevant um one thing I wanted to run by you and it, it's kind of silly 
Um, the NBA just approved of 2.5 by 2.5 inch advertising patches on jerseys. Mm. And we all know that the NHL is like, along with the MLS, one of the leagues struggling for league wide revenue. So what would your thoughts be like, you know, all the sharks, like on the very top of the shoulders, they got the shark. Like, what what would you think about NHL jerseys? If like on the top of the shoulder, not anywhere on the front or crazy, but like on the top of the shoulders, we saw like team sponsors. And that and the, the thing is, this conversation, well, we've 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 been talking about ads on jerseys forever because of the European leagues. But. It's never come to fruition in North American sports, and it's going to happen in the NBA. And they, and ironically, they have the smallest jerseys out of anybody. They're like the smallest surface area of jersey material out of any any sports league. And they're going to have two point five by two point five sponsor patches. So it it doesn't surprise me. And I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it trending towards that direction for a while. You know, it used to be that the boards weren't covered in advertisements. And now we're at the point Dude, there's where, electronic ads know, on the TV broadcast on the end boards behind the net. And it looks goofy yeah. as fuck. Yeah, the pr- progressive logo. I can see the CGI pixels on the curve of the G. It looks awful, stupid as hell. Yeah. I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of it. You know, the advertisements don't bother me per se. It really just depends on how the league handles it. Um, but corporate sponsor- sponsorship drives revenue there, especially in teams like uh, with teams like the Florida Panthers. I mean, we see a lot of empty seats, but you know the franchise itself does well on those on those sponsorships. Um, I think we're going to end up seeing it happen. I don't think we're going to see it happen to the extent that you know, we do in the European leagues. I mean, that's just ridiculous. It used to be back in the day when we first got into hockey. I remember seeing those jerseys and thinking that, that they were actually pretty cool looking, you know, sponsorships all over the jerseys and the pads and the helmets. I like the goalie pads. But it's overkill, man. <laughs> yeah. It's overkill. And there's 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 a handful of areas that I think the NHL has separated itself from in regards to other sports. And the, the the sweater is sacred and the logo is sacred. There's no better jersey in professional sports than a hockey jersey. And I'm not just saying that as a hockey fan, but... No, there's not. Does a basketball jersey or a football jersey compare? And look at, look at your soccer jerseys that have been around for ages, since the 1800s in, in a lot of cases. And they're not even represented by the logo. On on the chest of the no, jersey, it's some I mean, stupid bullshit. You know, no, every every soccer jersey I've ever purchased, I've had to think, boy, do I want Chevrolet on on the chest? Do I want Bimbo or whatever the hell? You know, it it drives me nuts. You know, these, I hate, these I hate how they change and they change. Like they don't stick with one with one with one supplier, like. You know, you you think about like man, man, you or other other teams. Like I was a fan, I was a fan of watching Italian soccer, and I I want I I was a fan of Lazio, and I wanted to buy a Lazio jersey. But the year that I wanted to buy a jersey, they changed sponsors, and I hated the way the damn hated the way the damn sponsor looked on the new jerseys, and then. I kind of was left with no choice. Like you're going to buy the old Jersey and the old jerseys were out of production. So you had to pay more for the older Jersey. And so I went and bought the new Jersey and I hated the logo on it. Looked like shit. Mm -hmm. You know, another question, you know, we talk about purchasing jerseys as fans, you know, will the logos translate into the same jerseys that we buy? You know, or will they just be on on the team? Well, jerseys? if you if you go by soccer logic, then they they probably will, because because the thing is, mm-hmm. is by that corporate sponsor giving you dollars and putting themselves on the player jerseys that are worn, they're going to want a piece of the revenue from jerseys sold to fans. Because yeah. without that logo, they will they won't get a I, percentage. I got to be honest with you. I understand. I understand where this derives from. I understand why the league is looking at it. Revenue sharing, baby. Thankfully, 
thankfully, in some regards, the NHL is very much behind other sports. You know, you talk about player tracking being a, a big one right now. It's a, a big discussion mm-hmm. uh, in the NHL compared to other sports. I think this is going to be one as well. We'll see how it works out for the NBA. I don't like it for the NHL. I don't want to see it happen. Um, as long as they don't start selling out all the trophies. You know, we've heard all the jokes. The, the Michelin um, Tire Mark Messier but, Leadership Award. It's sponsored by three different things, including Mark Messier. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I'm i not a fan of it, man. Oh. And I mean, if if I had my say and, you know, I'm, I'm in no position to make business decisions for the National Hockey League. Um, I would I would say thanks, but no thanks. You know, keep things the way that they are. I know it sounds a little old school and maybe a little closed minded, but um, there's nothing like a hockey jersey. No, and I don't want to see it trend. Yeah, the way. the only reason I the only reason I, I I I brought that up is because the NBA parallels the NHL in a lot of ways. Um, their schedule when they play in the season, the amount of games. Uh, they, there's a lot of parallels between the two leagues, and there are uh, just like the NHL, there are a lot of uh, and like the lower NBA franchises that are struggling. They lose money. You can't say the same for uh, as much of Major League Baseball in uh, the NFL. Like those those franchises just make money because they make money. You know, the NBA is very similar to the NHL in that regard. And if they're going that route because of revenue sharing, then it kind of makes you wonder because they are very parallel what that means for the NHL. Hopefully it doesn't come to that though, man. No, hopefully not. Well, we've, uh, we've well, been, uh, been chatting here for a hot minute. Um, there's more hockey to come. There's definitely, like I said, some more topics that we want to touch on later down the line, but some of those topics are quote unquote ongoing still in some of these series. So maybe we'll have some more, evidence for our arguments on those topics. I know we have some differing opinions. So, um, yeah, the, the two, the two big ones, and we're not going to get into them right now, but you know, to, to you guys that are listening, um, look forward to some discussions on the offside challenge as well as fighting. Those are two things that I really wanted to get into Yep, and two things that kind of stemmed out of these early series matchups. Um, that would make for some really good conversation, I'm sure. Uh, but we're going to try to keep this limited somewhat in time. Um, there's actually a handful of things that I really wanted to get to, but you know, we're already three games deep on a lot of these series. So, you know, let's just try to keep these podcasts going and, uh, we'll have plenty more to discuss next time. Yep. As always, uh, we don't see a lot of the action, but, uh, We'd like to get some reviews and comments and more subscribes on iTunes, so look there. And uh, SoundCloud works as well, but definitely get on that iTunes. Give us the review. Sign on your Facebook. Give us reviews. We do have a Facebook page up now, so and anything you guys can do to help get the word out. We're on Twitter, No Pucks Podcast. Our, our, our Gmail is No Pucks Podcast at Gmail. Any questions, any tips, anything, anything you got for us, even if you want to tell us that we're bumbling pieces of shit that should – Go back to our day jobs. Um, any, anything you want to chime in with, man, any support, any feedback is appreciated. So we will catch you next time with some with some more uh, gems. Sounds good, man. It's good talking yep. to you. Peace.